0: Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Our sermon taxes our gospel reading from Luke 12, reading just a few verses once again. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is our text. We've all seen or heard the news stories about people getting tricked by some sort of scam. They seem to appear on the local news with remarkable frequency, practically a regular feature, the scam detail. The details change, but the story is the same. An innocent, but it would seem gullible person gets sucked into the con of a 'er ne'er-do-well from some faraway place. The smooth-talking crook convinced the kind but clueless victim to send money for some emergency, a surgery to save a life, a lawyer to secure a visa, bail to free a desperate grandchild. Of course, it's all lies and deception, but somehow it manages to work. People forfeit their common sense. They buy the gift cards, they wire the money, they even hand over their life savings. You can't help but feel some sympathy for the poor person who's been tricked. It's sad, and there's nothing that can be done to fix it. The money is gone. But at the same time, you can't help but wonder, the person who was cheated was possibly thinking. How in the world could anyone be so foolish as to send money to an obvious cheat? And even if you're too nice to say it, you're certainly thinking it. A fool and his money are soon parted. And it's clear that many of those who are scammed are thinking the same thing. The fact that they often conceal their identity is all the proof we need. They're ashamed of their own foolishness. Ashamed, literally, to show their face. No one, no one likes to be a fool. No one wants to admit that they've done something foolish, that they were tricked or ignored the warnings or got lured into a scam. We all want to believe that we're smarter than that. And most of us are smarter than that. Oh, sure, we might make a frivolous purchase from time to time, maybe be a little foolish. We might even do something foolish like spend too much on a vacation or even incur needless debt because we can't wait for what we want. But overall, we work hard not to be the fool who is soon with his money, and for the most part, we do all right. No fools here, right? And that's good news, especially in light of today's gospel reading. In our text, we heard one of Jesus' many parables. This time, a story about a fool and his money soon going their separate ways. And like so many of Jesus' parables, it's not a particularly happy story. In fact, it's rather alarming. That is, if you're a fool. Things don't turn out well for the fool at the center of this parable. And the man in the story is a fool, isn't he? The text says so. Jesus himself passes judgment and declares the man a fool. But why? Why is it that the man qualifies as a fool? The truth is, he doesn't look like a fool at all. I mean, it's not like he was ripped off by some scam artist or a con man who sucked him into an elaborate scam that could fool even the most careful money manager. No, this man was not careless. He was not careless with his money. He was not throwing it around. He was a careful investor. In fact, he is the opposite of the careless, frivolous fool. The man was rich, but that doesn't qualify him as a fool necessarily. He was simply rich enough that a single bumper crop could be life-changing. And it was. The man had land, and the harvest on that land was one year a resounding success. His hard work, his careful planning had paid off. No failed crops this year, no droughts, No blight. No flooding. No hail. No locust invasion. No, not this time. This time, nothing but a huge crop. He had it made. All he had to do now was expand his undersized granaries for some large capacity storage, and then, well then, he could retire. It was all coming together. Everything was perfect. And then God speaks, fool, tonight your soul is demanded of you, you die, and now what? Now who gets all your stuff? The proverb is true again, a fool and his money are soon parted, this time through death. But who saw this coming? And again, why does Jesus call him a fool? What's he done to deserve that title? Now it's tempting as we go looking for an explanation to find fault with his retirement plan. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. We hear that and we think that we have found the problem. This man was obviously a hedonist. He was living only for pleasure. He was indulging his passions, Partying, no doubt, like a wild thing, a glutton, a drunk, or even worse. And being sensible, self controlled people, not given to reckless excess, this makes perfect sense to us. Hedonists are fools. We've got it. But as much as we might like this explanation, it's not what the text says actually there's nothing particularly sinful about the man's retirement plan he has done his work and he's now ready to enjoy it actually his words sound pretty much like the thinking of just about every single retiree i just want to kick back a little bit throw some burgers on the grill enjoy a cold beer and soak up life for a few years Isn't that the essence of retirement? The man in the parable is just looking forward to a comfortable, happy retirement. And if that's what makes him qualify as a fool, then we all might have to do some serious rethinking about our own lives and our own hopes and goals. But maybe there's another explanation. Maybe the man was called a fool because he was just He was just too full of himself he was proud and he was conceited and he thought that he had achieved his great success all by himself perhaps his mistake was that he didn't give God appropriate credit for this bumper crop and again this is a very attractive explanation because it makes sense and because it makes things so much easier for us It wasn't his plan to retire or his desire to enjoy the fruit of his hard work that was the problem. No, it's just that he had forgotten to keep God in the picture. There, that settles it. But again, while we might like this idea, it's not in the text. For all we know, the man could have been in the synagogue every week. He could have made every pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. No, the man was not condemned as a fool because he was a hedonist, and he was not condemned as a fool because he had forgotten to thank God or wasn't going to church every week. This parable, my friends, is not so easily solved. We can't get off the hook that simply. The parable presents a more basic problem. The problem with the man in the parable is made clear in the last verse it's presented as a basic fundamental truth a fool a fool is any man any woman who amasses treasure for him himself or herself but is not rich toward God that's what the text does say which means we had better well figure out what it means to be rich toward god and we had better certainly learn how not to become consumed with trying to store up treasure for ourselves so what does this mean does this mean you should quit saving for retirement does this mean you should quit fighting for your pension does it mean you should stop contributing to social security Is Jesus teaching us that it's wrong to retire and enjoy life? And what exactly does it mean to be rich toward God? If we don't want to be fools, we've got to get a handle on this. Well, just to be clear, this is not a parable about tithing or giving more to the church. That's not what Jesus means by being rich toward God. And this is not a parable encouraging you to be sure that you keep God rightly prioritized in your life. Being rich toward God does not mean going to church every Sunday, starting the day with a quiet time, or praying before meals. All those things matter, of course, but what the parable teaches is not a matter of getting this or that activity or task rightly ordered and prioritized. It's not a matter of tweaking some habit or behavior. And this parable is not even trying to encourage you to change your way of thinking or to have an attitude of gratitude or some other shift in how you look at things. No, what Jesus is teaching has to do with the foundation, the aim the very point of your life. Jesus is interested in what drives and what animates your life. Jesus wants you to think hard about the focus and the very reason for your entire life. He wants you to have a clear understanding of the meaning and the goal of your existence. The problem of the fool in the parable is that he was striving for the wrong thing. He was driven, not by God's plan and God's design for life, but by his own aims, his own goals, and his own ideas about what was important in life. He wanted to retire in comfort. He wanted his life to be pleasant and enjoyable. He wanted what he had earned. Now remember, Jesus told this story after someone had asked him to settle a dispute about a family inheritance. (laughs) What a thought. A family argument about how an estate should be divided. Who could imagine such a thing? Some things never change. And that's the point of the parable. People are always prone to be driven by what they want and by the stuff that they can accumulate that they think will give them what they want. They are driven by what they think they deserve. They want what they think is theirs. They want what they have decided will make life more pleasant. They aim at what makes them happy. But they're aiming at the wrong things. There are as many wrong aims as there are people, of course, but they all boil down to some form of greed. In other words, a life that is focused on yourself and the things that matter to you. That's what makes a fool. Not our usual definition. A fool lives for what matters to him and not for what matters to God. To be rich toward God means that you are not shaped by the pursuit of stuff. To be rich toward God means that you are not driven by the effort to get and keep whatever it is that you think you must have to be happy. Whether that thing you must have is your rightful share of the inheritance or your slice of social security that you've got coming or a long retirement or a house on a lake, or a familiar way of life. Maybe the America you grew up loving that seems to be slipping away. Or maybe what you must have is even another person. Maybe the spouse or child you have grown to love. When your life is built on what matters to you, you are a fool. That's The point of the parable. Like I said, it's not a happy parable. It delivers a hard message. It forces you to rethink some of the things you've always taken for granted or just considered good and right. And that's what Jesus routinely does. He turns things upside down. He challenges the accepted ways of operating. He calls into question what we all just assume. He makes us reevaluate what matters. He makes us realize that so very often we are just like the man in the parable. We live lives that are wrongly aimed. We are driven by things that matter to us and we forget about what matters to God. We are fools. God knows that, of course. He knows how foolishly we are aimed. He knows what drives us. He knows what fools we are. And He knows that we can do nothing to fix this problem. Fools can't stop being fools, they're trapped hopelessly in their own folly. But God does not just shake His head and marvel at the degree of our folly. And He doesn't just speak a word of judgment and leave us there crushed by His condemnation. And He does much more than simply feel some sympathy for us and our foolishness. No, the strange truth is that God loves even fools. He loves them enough to save them from their folly. A life rightly aimed and a life driven by the right things is not something you decide to do. To be rich toward God is not a choice you make, it's a choice God makes. He loves you enough to die for you and seek you and claim you, even when you're being a fool, even when you're chasing all the things you think you need, whether that is a dream retirement, a vital relationship, a long, healthy life, or even just more stuff. God loves fools and makes them into followers, and followers are those that he has claimed who know his reality and who are learning to live life a new way. Not the American way, but Christ's way. A life with a new aim and a new purpose. They don't aim at what matters to them. They aim at what matters to God. They don't invest themselves in what they care about. They invest themselves in what God cares about. They aren't driven by their loves and their desires. They are driven by what God loves and what God desires. They're not shaped by their passions, but by the passion, the life, the death, and the resurrection of their Lord. They are rich toward God because God is rich toward them. God is not part of life. He is life. God's things don't have a place in life. They are the whole of life. Followers are not doing their own thing. They're doing the things that God gives them to do. That's how followers live. Or more accurately, that's how followers are learning to live. It takes a while. It's a lifelong process. But God does it. He does it for you. He makes fools into followers. He makes you into his follower. Amen.